0: This is the word of the Lord. These are the qualifications that God Himself has set for elders, for men He puts in place to lead His church. And it is a sobering list for sure. It is a high calling. And as we discussed last week, the qualifications of an elder, today we're going to look at the responsibilities of an elder, as well as our passage today will show us the responsibilities. That all the congregation has towards the elders and one another. But I had thought it helpful for us to remember 1 Timothy 3 and the qualifications of an elder as we deal with roles and responsibilities of leadership, because our natural flesh and our culture is prone to push back against authority and leadership. And so as we go through the roles of leading and following, It is helpful for us to remember the character that the leaders God puts in place are to have. If you go through the history of the beginning of the church in the New Testament, you will notice, especially as you read through the book of Acts, that the gospel was preached, it went out, it was preached, people responded in repentance and faith, and then churches were established, and then leaders were put in place. And it's Important for us to understand leadership, what God says leadership is to be like in the church. Today, we're going to look at 1 Peter 5 and see what the scriptures say about this leadership. And it is crucial to the life of the church to have this leadership God puts in place. And yet it is also crucial that the congregation follow God's appointed leadership. So turn with me to 1 Peter 5. This morning we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 5. Let's read this together, 1 Peter 5. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, all of you with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Here, here in First Peter 5, verses 1 through 5, Peter provides for us three responsibilities in the church, three responsibilities in the church so that we would live with each other in a God-honoring way. We'll see the first responsibilities in verses 1 through 4, and that is the shepherd. God's flock and we will honestly spend the most of our morning there. But we also see at the beginning part of verse 5 our second point that's to submit to God's under shepherds and the third responsibility is to show humility to all. And all this teaches us that leading and following in the church are to be governed by humility. Leading and following in the church are to be governed by humility. Now, we're jumping into the last chapter of 1 Peter, so let's understand what happened previously. Peter has been exhorting believers to think and respond rightly to the suffering and persecution that has come and will come. And we shouldn't be surprised by it because, remember, our Lord himself suffered at the hands of godless men. And God uses these fiery trials for our good. In fact, he allows them, brings them into our life for our good. But Peter warns right before this passage of God's divine discipline to refine and purify his church. And that divine discipline is coming. And so to, be, to endure that and to be found faithful in that, there are necessary responsibilities for a church community, beginning with biblical leadership. And so that's where it brings us up to chapter 5. We see the first responsibility in verses 1 through 4, shepherd God's flock. Shepherd God's flock. Peter begins in verse 1 with an exhortation and an example. He says, so I exhort the elders among you. I exhort them. I, I strongly urge. I appeal to you. It's more than a sense of, I'm just trying to encourage you to do this. I'm encouraging you, but I'm putting some fire behind it that you really need to do this. I encourage, strongly urge who? He says the elders. The elders. What does the term elder mean? Well, it's in New Testament usage and even back into Old Testament and Jewish teaching it can refer to one who's just older. That would be the most literalistic understanding, one who is older. However, it can also refer to one who is of mature character. One who's of mature character. Specifically, when we think of the New Testament and how it uses this term, it focuses on one with a reputable, mature character who functions in a role of leadership within the church. Age itself does not guarantee maturity. I'm sure if you were to sit there and think, you probably know people in your life who age-wise could be in the elderly category, but maturity-wise, they're lacking. On the other hand, you could probably think those who are younger, but show a sense of mature character beyond their years. And we would all say that is the grace of God for sure on them. So age doesn't necessarily make one an elder in the sense of this role and responsibility. It is a maturity. Now, you might be thinking or remembering, doesn't the Bible use several different terms to refer to leadership in the church? We've got elder, overseer. You've got the word pastor. What's the difference in these? Are they different? We just talked about what the word elder means focuses on, that sense of maturity. The word overseer, or it can be translated as bishop, the word overseer refers to the office of oversight or supervision. That's, that's when, when the term overseer is being used, that's what it's giving highlight to, emphasis on. It's this idea of one who is in an office of supervision, of leadership. The word pastor refers more to the shepherding aspect of, the caring for other people. So you've got elder, overseer, and pastor. Now, when you look at the the New Testament, you see, especially in Acts 20, if you remember Acts 20, where Paul, before he goes to Jerusalem, gathers the Ephesian elders to himself so that he may talk to them and exhort and encourage them. And as he calls for the Ephesian elders, he says that, they are overseers whom the Holy Spirit has put in place. So he calls them an elder and he calls them overseer. Two different words. What we find is that while the titles elder, overseer, and pastor all highlight different characteristics of the office of leadership, different, you know, the function or the role or the nature of the office, all three words refer to the same position. A pastor is an elder is an overseer. They're all the same. We tend to think in, in our, our mindset, and it's happened throughout church history, that, well, the pastors are the guys on staff that get paid and do the primary, the preaching and the teaching, and then you've got the lay elders uh, on the board who you know, do other things. Those, those are elders. The pastors are just the staff guys. However, biblically, the New Testament say, no, they're all pastors. They're all elders. They're all overseers, all accountable to God. I think this is helpful for us as we consider practically how the church functions to remember this. And he refers to them, he exhorts these elders, the elders among you, as a fellow elder. A fellow elder. Now, this is Peter. I mean, the leader of the 12, right? You would think that he'd be like, you know, well, as the one with the highest apostolic authority. No, he doesn't say that. He doesn't use any pope-like influence. He's appealing to them humbly. As a fellow elder who steps down the path of righteousness, looking back, beckoning his other elders, come on, brothers, follow this way. This is the good and right way. And he was a witness of the sufferings of Christ, he says. Yeah, he saw, I mean, this is Peter, the Apostle Peter, he saw the life and the sufferings of Christ. He was an eyewitness of that, and yet he was also commissioned by Christ to testify concerning Christ. So he is a witness of the gospel, a testifier about the gospel. He's a fellow elder, a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and then he identifies himself as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. This term partaker refers to a sharer, a companion. Right alongside with these other elders, he is a companion in the coming glory. Oh, what is that coming glory? Well, as we look through the beginning part of 1 Peter and the rest of the New Testament, this would refer to the second coming of Christ, when Jesus in his full glory is revealed and he gives rewards, eternal rewards, to his faithful servants looking forward to that well-done, good and faithful servant. So Peter, humbly addressing these men, is urging them to do what? We see in verse 2 the main command. Shepherd the flock of God. Shepherd. That's the main command. So what does it mean to shepherd? Well, the word itself means to watch out for other people, to care for them, to... Watch out for the activities that could cause them harm, protect them. There is a sense of ruling and governing, for sure. But it's this watching out and caring for you. You could picture the ancient Near East, a country hillside with a flock of sheep just wandering about, grazing, resting. Probably some of them are getting in trouble, doing things they shouldn't. And a shepherd would be there. He'd be there to look out over them, to guide them the way they should go. He would protect them from various dangers. We hear of King David, who was a shepherd, had done that with his flock. And the shepherd was responsible to make sure they find good food and water. He would be very tender with them, and yet he would be firm with them when needed. But the sheep needed a shepherd because they could be stubborn or even clueless animals to their own detriment and with that lovely picture in mind that's how the lord describes us he picks up this illustration calling those who trust in jesus as his sheep we are his sheep which makes it very clear that we are sheep that need to be shepherded and so what does he do god provides qualified men qualified men qualified according to his standard Not psychology's standard, not science's standard, not the culture's standard, not the trend or fads. It is according to his standard. And we read that in 1 Timothy 3. His standard. He provides men according to his standard to do that shepherding. Now, this is Peter talking. You might remember, right before Jesus' ascension, Peter and Jesus have a little dialogue back and forth. Remember in John 21, Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? And Jesus, oh, you, or, or Peter would say, you know, Jesus asked Peter this, and Peter would say, well, you know I do, Lord. And he would say, feed my sheep. And he does this three times, and he says in John 21, 16, the last one, tend my sheep, tend them. Well, this word actually means shepherd. If you have an NASB translation, it says shepherd my sheep. Peter was very familiar with this exhortation and this commission to shepherd. He himself had received it from the Lord, and now he passes it on to God's men. We also see, though, in Acts 20, verse 28, while Paul is talking to those Ephesian elders, he says to them, Pay careful attention, this is Acts 20, 28, pay careful attention to yourself and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Okay, who did that? God does that. To do what? To care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. To care for them. Well, that word to care is the same word again. Shepherd. Same word we have here in 1 Peter 5 two. Care for the flock of God that is among you. So, The elders have a responsibility to nurture God's people so that they are nourished and equipped with the Scriptures. They are guided along the right path. They are protected from false teaching. They protect others from false teaching and from the deceitfulness of their own hearts. They shepherd, care for God's people. Look what he adds, though. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Among you, the priority of an elder is to care for those in the same local assembly as him. The same as him. Not the whole church. Your elders are responsible for you that are here. Your pastors are the one in the local church you're part of, not a guy that you like to watch on the Internet who lives across the country. Is the ones that are among you. Which is a practical, practical benefit of formal church membership is it tells the elders who is actually here. We live in a day and age where you get mad, you just go to a different church right down the street. Who's here? Who's among us? Because why is that important? Because I have to answer to God for you. Your elders are responsible to God for you. So it helps us know who. I'm responsible for also those who are among you we shepherd those among you tells us that elders are to be surrounded by the sheep and the sheep are to be around the elders you've heard it from me before and I'll say it again the shepherd ought to smell like the sheep if they don't something is wrong We need to be among each other, in the midst of each other. Because if we're not, there's no shepherding able to happen. So they care for the flock among them. And then he says, he gives a description what shepherding looks like. He says, exercising oversight, exercising oversight. Now, this word for exercising oversight brings the emphasis of, and define it as to accept responsibility, to accept responsibility responsibility for the care of someone, to oversee them, to care for them, taking on, yes, I will answer to God for them. I take the responsibility for their spiritual well-being. And so how does then that look? Well, Peter gives us now three pairs, three contrasts, a negative and a positive, of what exercising oversight looks like. He begins, Halfway through verse 2, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not under compulsion, not being forced to do it, but as God would have you, shepherd. A man is not to pursue eldership because of social, financial, or familial pressure. He shouldn't be forced into it, and it shouldn't take forcing a man into that role and nor should a man think well you know you want me to ask if i want to be okay sure why not you know i've got nothing better to do i've read my bible before how hard could it be but first timothy three as we read actually indicates there is a desire that should be present there is a desire for what to care for the sheep a man actually has a desire to, to seek out the spiritual well being of the sheep, not to be forced in a role to do that. Now, let's note, not every man is given this desire. Not every man has that. But hear me clearly, that doesn't mean the men that don't have this desire are any less godly. They're still godly men. But God, specifically in His sovereign plan, chooses certain men to put in this role and give this responsibility. And it is absolutely detrimental to put a man in the role of elder when he does not desire it. It would dishonor God, it would hurt the church, it would actually bring judgment upon that man, and it would make his life miserable. You could add to that it would make his family's life miserable too. So they are to do it, not under compulsion or forced to, but willingly, as God would have you. You could translate the as God would have you as according to God. According to God. It It is according to God's will that elders oversee his people. They are to care for his people in a way that pleases him. And it is God's plan for his church that every believer in the church comes under the leadership of qualified overseers. Now, this should give us some pause to consider how we view and treat elders. Remembering, elders aren't perfect men. We still are being sanctified too. And amazingly, the Lord uses each other to help us be sanctified in the process of that. We're not perfect. And if elders are behaving unbiblically, the scripture does give prescription on how to deal with that and that it should be dealt with. You can look at Matthew 18 and 1 Timothy 5. But if we are rebelling against the elders of a church, it could be in effect that we are rebelling against God. So we must be careful because Jesus is the one who puts these men in place. So they are to do it, not under compulsion, but exactly as God would want them to do it. What else? How are they to exercise oversight? He goes on, they're to do it not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. This is dealing with the motive. Now, in Titus 1.7, the qualification of an elder is they're not to be out for greedy gain. Okay, There is to be no room for shameful, dishonest gain, greed, a a selfish, desiring and pursuing worldly stuff, building myself up, getting what I want. Men are not to be in the role of elder, to get. Which is why I would say woe to the prosperity preachers who claim they can't do gospel ministry without flying in their own private jet because, you know, you can't hear God and pray to God when you're flying commercial. I'm not making that up. Rather qualified elders are eager to be of service. They just want to serve and help build up the church as much as possible. One writer said, quote, the proper attitude of an elder is an eagerness to give, not a desire to get. So these these men among us, they, they see the needs of the sheep and want to be there for the sheep, and they want to be there with them with the soothing balm of God's Word. They, they, they see straying sheep, and they want to point them back on the path of God's righteousness according to God's Word. And so when elders be happy to serve, and longing that you all, we all grow in maturity. Like, like Paul would say in Colossians 1.28, that I might present you complete, mature in Christ. That's my desire, that God would be honored and you would be presented to him, mature in Christ. And I eagerly give my life for that. They are to do it eagerly. But he also goes on, verse 3, How do they exercise oversight? Well, they are to be not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. This is dealing with their attitude. Don't have the attitude of domineering, of of lording it over other people, to use my position to get my way, what I want. Instead, these men have been delegated authority from God and are to seek that things be done God's way. How do they do that? As an example, as a model. A model for those in your charge. Don't lord it over those in your charge. Those in your charge. The NASB says those allotted to you. This word is, I mean, it's fascinating. It actually refers to an allotment or a portion given of of what God has distributed or ordained something to be. You can can think of it as one commentator put it, quote, divine appointment of these particular people to the care of these particular elders. Think about that. God is assigning us to each other. The elders you have here, if you're part of this body, have been assigned to you by God. And you have been assigned to To us. God determines that. And it's in his omniscience, his sovereign plan, that he knows what is best for us. And so being together here this morning is what's right and good for us. We are assigned to each other. God takes this this assigning, this responsibility, the responsibility of shepherding very seriously. In fact, you see in Ezekiel 34 in the Old Testament an indictment, an indictment against the shepherds of Israel. Listen to what it says that they had been doing. They were ungodly. In verse, uh, Ezekiel 34, verse 2, he says, Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? They should feed the sheep, not to be in it for themselves. And he would go on to say that they've not fulfilled their role of helping God's people in their spiritual well-being. That was their role. That is the role of an elder, is to seek and care for the spiritual well-being of God's people. And if you think of the Bible... There is an example given in the Bible of the greatest shepherd. There's no greater example of what shepherding should look like than Jesus himself. Just search your mind real quick. Think of the gospel narratives. What do you see? You see Jesus caring for his sheep, teaching his sheep, protecting his sheep, correcting them where necessary, loving them, he was with his sheep constantly. In fact, he would go on to die for his sheep. And the overseers that he puts in place are to be examples of him. Examples of him. Elders are to be walking, talking examples of someone who has been redeemed by Christ and growing in that walk. One pastor has said, quote, spiritual credibility springs from a holy and pure life. From the pulpit to the pew, nothing is more stabilizing, more admirable, more compelling among the leadership qualifications than our personal holiness. Our personal holiness. If the sheep are not holy and godly, then there's a good chance the shepherds are not holy and godly. The shepherds, the elders, are to live a holy life life so that we can say, like the Apostle Paul, follow me as I follow Christ. The end goal is not just following me, it's Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. And so I would ask the elders and all of us here, are we a visible example to Eastridge of what a student of Jesus looks like? Are we Men diligent to constantly study and hide God's word in our hearts. Are we intentionally filling our minds with Scripture so that when we talk to people, it is the word that comes out? Are we fervent in prayers so that our conversations are wrapped in the warmth of truth and love for someone's growth in Christ? Eldership is no trivial task or trivial office. It is a weighty responsibility that eternally impacts the lives of those around us. And you know what all that takes? Holiness and humility. Holiness and humility. If if. My own desires, our own desires are placed first. Then we put a barrier up that keeps people from seeing Jesus in each other's lives. Because what becomes the, the one we're looking to? Me. If I'm not doing this in humility and holiness, you know, it's, I don't know if you guys saw that I said that verse without looking at my Bible. I did it from memory. You know, I read this book, it was this big. And your book you read was only this big. You know, so, I'm pretty great. It may not be that blunt, but that's pride. That is not leading the sheep as Jesus would have. Now, verse 4 gives us a motivation. Verse 4, and it says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. When the chief shepherd appears... This chief shepherd is Jesus. He's the perfect shepherd. You know what's great about what Peter says there? He says, when the chief shepherd appears, not if the chief shepherd appears. Jesus, the shepherd, is going to come back. It's going to be great. Today would be a wonderful day. But he is the perfect shepherd. And when you think about the Old Testament, it talked about Israel's under-shepherds had failed, and so the Lord says he himself will be the shepherd. Yahweh will shepherd his own people. And then you have Jesus come along in John 10, 11, saying, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus himself is the Lord who rules his church, shepherds his church. Actually, if we look back at 1 Timothy 2, a couple chapters back from where we are, we see him say this about the shepherd talks about Jesus in 1 Peter 2, beginning there. When he, Jesus, was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Who's the shepherd and overseer of your souls? It's Jesus. How is this at all possible for this shepherding and returning and healing? The gospel, that Jesus himself laid down his life so that our sins would be forgiven and we are reconciled to him. The gospel brings us to our shepherd because of the good shepherd Jesus reconciled us to God. He laid down his life for his sheep so that their sins would be forgiven and they could dwell at peace with him forever. He is the chief shepherd who will return. So that means that the elders he talks to, commands the shepherd, are just under-shepherds. The elders have no natural authority on their own. Instead, we are to serve as ministers of Christ not ministers of our own prestige. We are slaves of the Lord, lowly servants who have an amazing God, a gracious God, a God who loves his people, loves his church. And when his chief shepherd appears, Peter encourages them that you will receive the unfading crown of glory. There will be a special reward that Christ will give his faithful under-shepherds when he returns but they are accountable to him. So what are the priorities to be of an elder? What are the priorities to be of the elders? Well, you could say it in three three terms. Feeding, leading, and protecting. Feeding, leading, and protecting. The first and primary is feeding. This is the ministry of the word. Feeding on God's word and feeding others God's word. It's interesting, especially in the life of the early church and with Peter himself. In Acts 6, you see a dispute arise about needs that were not met in the church. And when these came up, the apostles devoted themselves to something. It's interesting, they don't devote themselves to going and meeting that need specifically themselves. They devote other, they assign other men, qualified men, to go and meet those practical needs. But Acts 6-4 tells us, they say, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Prayer and the ministry of the Word. That is essential. You can meet all the physical needs in the world, but if people are not fed the Word of God, then it doesn't matter They need, we all need, the Word. It is our spiritual food. It is what the Spirit uses to grow us, convict us, sanctify us. It is powerful, unlike anything else. In fact, it's so powerful, it revives the soul. It makes wise the simple. The Word is the sufficient and all authoritative rule in the church. The Word of Christ So we are to be feeding, beginning first personally and then flowing out publicly. First personally, there's to be a passion to know God and his word among the elders within themselves. They are to be consumed by feeding on it, and then it flows out of them to others. So we men, and I would even say all men, we must be engulfed with the word of God constantly studying and learning and praying so that we may have God's food of his word to give his sheep. And we, if we are not doing that, we have nothing good to give and so we shouldn't say anything. We must be devoted to the word, wrapped in prayer, word and prayer. Because you can shove all this knowledge in your head and regurgitate it, but if it is not bathed in prayer, it's not going to come out compassionate and warm. It's not going to be caring. It's going to come from pride. We are feeding on the ministry of the word. Paul would exhort and command Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.2 to preach the word. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. In Hebrews 13, you see some dialogue about leaders and how the congregation responds to leaders. And he says in Hebrews thirteen seven, the writer says, remember your leaders. Who are the leaders? Those who spoke to you the word of God. Those who spoke to you the word of God. That was their responsibility and their role. And he goes on to say, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. They're to be living as proper examples walking by faith and so the people should follow them as they feed the word now i would put under the feeding category what i would say is equipping we feed with the word and part of that is equipping the saints with the word this is the passing on of this good message the training even men for ministry at first or in ephesians four twelve. Paul would say that the pastors and teachers were given to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for the building of the body of Christ. He didn't give the pastors and teachers to do all the work of the ministry. No, their role is to equip the saints and then all of us do the work of the ministry. They equip with the word. And then in 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, Paul would tell Timothy, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. There is a responsibility of leadership in the church to train up and pass on the good message so that the whole body would be built up. And it should be a priority of the elders, a priority so that as they train up men, These men will know the truth, love the truth, teach the truth, and lead with the truth. So they're to be feeding. But they're also to be leading. Remember, exercising oversight? Leading. The elders have the role and responsibility before God to lead the church both doctrinally in teaching and in ministry oversight, ministry decisions. And now remember, this this oversight is to be done with Humility. Elders will answer to God for this responsibility. And the ultimate accountability of an elder is to the sovereign Lord Almighty himself. You know, the one who even knows our motives and our thoughts. It's kind of terrifying. Or we'd call that the fear, hopefully producing the fear of the Lord. Overseers then must be, they must be, out in front on the path of righteousness so that the church has a faithful example to follow while also remembering the chief shepherd is watching. And in turn, the church has the responsibility to follow this leadership. So they are feeding, leading, but they're also protecting, just like a shepherd would with his flock. And the, the threefold enemy of the world, the flesh, and the devil want to destroy Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light trying to sneak in and destroy the church. Now, the good news is no one can destroy Christ's church. He will build it. But the threefold enemy can wreck some havoc and create some divisions. He is good at that. So the elders are to be protecting from false teaching, protecting from sin, whether that be protecting from false teachers, whether that be protecting from books even, which is so sad, books that are not biblical, not helpful, and a lot of the dangerous ones might have nuggets of truth thrown in there among a bunch of garbage, but protecting even from those, protecting from those who sneak into the assembly that bring unbiblical thinking, and protecting even from our own deceptive hearts, which means elders must be wise men who know the word of God and then apply it with skill. Skill to keep the sheep from being ravaged or ravaging each other. Now church, this is to be the labor of your elders. These are the responsibilities that they are to be consumed by and we have a group of elders here who desire to follow that task, but I cannot help but ask, where are the other men who are qualified and prepared for this? Where are they? I would exhort men and young men, men who are older than me, I exhort you as a, as a father, you being a father to me, and young men as a, coming alongside you, What are you doing now to prepare for that day when the Lord calls you to this responsibility, if he does? What are you doing now to prepare for leading your family, the church? I would encourage you, study hard now. Seek time, meet with seasoned men now. Serve now don't just wait till then both the church and the world desperately need men of godly character who know the word and then lead wisely with it and as a I would say for all of us as a whole body we can keep our eyes open for the men who are excelling in this who are preparing keep our eyes open and then when you see one of them encourage them I see what you're doing keep it up Press on. Follow Christ. If they need correction, help them in that too. Elders are to be commissioned with the responsibility to shepherd God's flock. But what about the rest of us? The whole body of Christ is not just made up of elders. So let's, let's finish verse 5 to find out what are the responsibilities for the rest of us. He says, uh, our second responsibility is found at the beginning of verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. The second responsibility is to submit to God's under-shepherds. He says likewise. He's continuing a theme here. Likewise, I'm exhorting the elders, but now also I want to exhort you too. Here's how to live in a way as God prescribes that's the best for his people, for his church, and brings him glory. And what is that? Be subject to the elders. This word subject means a submission in the sense of voluntary yielding in love. Voluntary yielding in love, an intentional coming under the leadership of others and then following them, which we must note is why it is imperative that elders are biblically qualified and are setting the Christ-like example to follow. Because people are to come under your leadership. Then you better meet the qualifications. And be walking as God says. And if they are, if elders are, who wouldn't want to follow these men? They're showing us what a Christ-like life looks like. They are living as God calls. They are put there by God for all of us to help us be more like Christ. Who wouldn't want to follow them? Someone who's above reproach. Who wouldn't want to follow them? And if we find ourselves being repelled by that thought, then maybe we need to check our hearts to make sure we are thinking biblically about church and life. Because there is to be a subjection, a submission. Now, he identifies you who are younger in this, and you wonder, who are you referring to? And boy, there's been a lot of ink spilled on this one. The two primary thoughts are, He's referring to literally those who are younger, which in this time could have been anyone under the age of 40-ish. Or some think, well, he's just referring to the rest of the congregation, right? He was talking about the leadership. He called elders, and now he's talking about everyone else. Both have great arguments for either one. I would lean more to the side of literally those who are younger. And so you might wonder, okay, why would you lean that way? Well, it would be literally younger. And then also... It is possibly because of the tendency and temptation for, uh, towards pride and rebelliousness and independence that can more easily demonstrate itself in youthfulness. You know, I know I was like that. There was a time in my life, you know, just, listen, I, I got saved, learned the doctrines of grace, I'm studying my Bible, I'm passionate, and I had this immediate thought that every church that I visited, I know more than the pastor you know listen he spent 40 hours in the study I spent zero but I automatically know more than him and I became very critical and judgmental and then the day came where I was given the responsibility to preach and I was completely humbled very quickly to see that it is not as easy as you think so there can be a tendency but even with that distinction Submissions to the elders is not just limited to those who in age are younger. All believers in the scriptures are exhorted to follow the leadership that God puts in place. You might know Hebrews 13, 17, where it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. To who? Well, the chief shepherd. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Okay, so there's this idea obey your leaders. Now, it's fascinating in studying this that the word obey here comes from the word to be persuaded. To be persuaded means you listen to what they say and their reasoning behind it, their biblical reasoning, and considering they are watching over your souls and trying to do what's best for you, and then you follow that. You're persuaded. There's a teachableness and a humility demonstrated there. But then also to submit to them. To yield to someone else's authority. And so following the eldership that God puts in place is actually obedience to God. Now, now remember, we're the household of God. We are a church family, brothers and sisters in Christ. All of us need the gospel, all of us are sinners who need the forgiveness of Christ. And so this is not the place for positioning in our attitudes of who's better than others. This is not the place for that. This is the place where we care for one another and we worship Jesus together. And in that, God gives overseers to help you and I follow Christ and to lead his church. And so... We obviously want to follow the Lord's way. We want to follow his prescription for how we do church. And so ask yourself, well, what's, what's your attitude towards church leadership? What are our responses toward leadership like? Are we, are we operating according to the, what the scriptures teaches and how we follow under shepherds who he puts in place? Practically, what can that look like? Well, you listen to the elders and the teaching of the word. You be teachable. You follow their leadership and their teaching. When you're unsure of the counsel that is given by an elder or you might even disagree with that counsel or that decision, I would encourage you to think carefully. Think biblically. Respond graciously communicate clearly, and then follow in humility in a way that honors Christ. But I would add this, that does not mean, the fact that you have elders in place put here by God does not mean you put your Bibles down and never pick them up. We are all to be students of the word, studying the word, so that when counsel is given or the life of an elder goes astray, we know what it is to be measured by. And it's not, I'm coming with my opinion or my preference that was violated. No, 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 This, This is, I'm coming with the word of God, what it says. So we all need to be carrying the word with us, studying it, knowing it, so that we're all built up. Not only are overseers to lead in a Christ-exalting way, but everyone is to follow in a Christ-exalting way. And for any of that to be possible, it takes the key ingredient of humility. Humility. Which brings us to the last last responsibility at the end of verse 5. Look at it with me. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. All of you. Everyone, it's not just the the elders, the leaders, it's not just the younger, it is every one of us in both those categories and in between, all of us, we are to be clothed with what? Humility toward one another. To clothe here means to tie a garment to yourself, to fashion it securely so that it's always with you and it becomes an expression of you. So what are we to tie on? What, are we to, what is to be an expression of us? What are we to be known for? Our humility. A modesty and a lowliness in our thinking and our attitude. And that's not asking too much. Jesus himself is the greatest example of that, is he not? Think of John 13. Jesus wraps a towel around him and washes the dirty feet of his disciples, a job that the lowliest of slaves would do, and yet the Lord of glory is doing this. If he could stoop to such a degree of lowliness, how dare we think, I can't put the well-being of someone else over myself. I've got to make it to the Seahawks game. Our relationships within the church, the, the health of the church, These are completely dependent upon our humility. I mean, you might know Philippians 2. You should know Philippians 2, 3 and 4. The direct command there, do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's pretty clear. Walk in a selfless Mindset, live in a way that demonstrates a care and concern for other people. Now, what is that command based on in Philippians 2? Well, do you remember verses 5 through 11? The humility of Christ, who, being God Himself, humbled Himself by becoming man and even went to the point of death, though he didn't deserve death. He didn't sin, he didn't have to die. God was not obligated to come to this earth and die for our sins, other people's sins, and yet Christ did that. And if he could go to such a length to show humility, how could we not obey him and imitate him by doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit? If, the, if we practice this constantly, imagine what the church would look like. The church would look so different from the world. And many conflicts would be settled before even beginning. One writer said, quote, Humility is the oil that allows relationships in the church to run smoothly and lovingly. Oil. That allows things to run smoothly and lovingly. And to, as I was talking to Pastor Samuel this week, he gave me the illustration. So, to quote him if humility is like oil, then pride is like sandpaper. Sandpaper. Where there is pride, there is constant friction, conflict, and anger. And so, because the, the prideful person doesn't get what they want, they, they get upset when things don't go their way. When decisions are made, they don't. They wouldn't have done that. They would have done something different. Just friction. We are to be considerate of others. And why should we do this? Why should we clothe ourselves with humility? Well, because God takes the seriousness, or God takes seriously, the purity of his people, the holiness of his people. He grounds this command even in the Old Testament reference of Proverbs 3, 34. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Who are those God opposes and resists? Those who are proud. That would include elders who are proud, younger who are proud, any of us who are proud. God opposes that pride. But who does he bless and grace? Well, it is those who are humble. And, uh, beloved, we do not want to be found in rebellion against God by our pride. That is a dangerous territory to be in. Rather, as God's church, we are to reflect His character. And so we ought to consider the well-being of others over ourselves. Humility is displayed by shepherding in a manner God commands and by following the under-shepherds that God puts in place. And we demonstrate humility before God and to one another when we follow this order. That's his order. So we can ask ourselves, do I put the needs and the well-being of others ahead of my own ones? Would people in the church say that we show a Christ honoring example of leading or following in whatever role that God has placed us? Maybe what do we need to do differently to obey God's established commands for leading and following in his church? It's his church. So we're dealing with authority, leadership, and submission. Three words. Three words that natural man dislikes. But these are words that are really established by God for our growth. And Peter laid out here for us in this section, responsibilities in the church that refer to authority, leadership, and submission. And he helps us see that leading and following in the church are good responsibilities that are to be wrapped in the blanket of humility. And with these, we can live with each other in a God-honoring way. So may we be a church family where humility is clearly seen with a biblically qualified set of elders who are shepherding God's flock as we all follow Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you give us your word here that instructs us how leadership, how following is to take place within the church. Lord we know the natural man in his pride tends to corrupt. And so we thank you for the corrective nature of your word. Father, we want to praise you just for our our good and great shepherd. We thank you for Christ. We thank you for the salvation that comes through him and him alone, and we thank you that he's, he doesn't just save and then leave us be, but that he is with us always. We thank you that you are working in us to grow us, to conform us more into Him as in, his image, and yet you also care for us, and you give us one another to care for each other. Father, may we here be a church that is known for biblically qualified leadership, but also a congregation that follows well. Yet in all this following, may it be Christ who we are following. For his glory, we pray this in his name. Amen.